0: Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3. We have been looking over these past weeks at the last things, the things that are yet to come, the things that the Word of God tells us about the future. I am glad that I don't have to live in fear, I don't have to live in uncertainty, I know that God is in control of what is going to take place in the time to come, aren't you? I am thankful that he is a, a God who not only knows the uh, end from the beginning, but he sees the beginning in the end. And I'm grateful that as we look at these final things, we have looked at the rapture of the church, that Jesus Christ very soon, I hope, is going to return for his bride. We just sang about the church being ready, and we are a bride that is to be preparing ourselves for the return of our bridegroom. After the rapture, we will be in heaven while the tribulation period is taking place on this earth. We will be in heaven uh, at the bema, at the judgment seat of Christ, the rewards seat of Christ, to receive the rewards for the things that we have done in this body. The works that we have done for our own glory and our own strength will be burned up, wood, hay, and stubble. The things that are done for God's glory will be gold, silver, and precious stones. And then we will come back with Christ at his second coming. He will come back to the battle of Armageddon, he'll defeat the Antichrist, he'll set up his thousand-year reign, and for a thousand years we will rule and reign with Christ, and we will enjoy a taste of heaven on this earth. And even after experiencing the blessedness of the millennial kingdom, the rule of Christ, man is one more time going to rebel against God, he's going to follow Satan, listen to the devil, the great deceiver, and he's going to rebel against God. And we saw last week that that's going to take place with the judgment seat of the uh, great white throne judgment that all unbelievers will stand before. And following that, Revelation chapter 21 and 22 describes to us the new heaven and the new earth. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth and a new city, Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. So there's there's a new earth and there's a new heaven and there is a new city. And this is sometimes what we refer to as the eternal state. It's the We commonly say heaven, and that's generally what we mean, but it's much more than the general conception of what heaven is going to be. This is also mentioned in Isaiah chapters 65 and 66, where God says, I will make a new heaven and a new earth. And here in Peter, Peter refers to this and draws this together for us. I want you to follow me. I'm just going to read a couple of verses, but really our entire passage is the text this morning. Begin reading with me. Follow along in verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. I would point to you, actually there's three places. One is in in verse 12, the other in verse 13, and then again in verse 14, the word looking. Verse 12, looking for. Verse 13, we look for new heavens and new earth. Verse 14, wherefore, beloved, seeing we look for such things. The idea of looking is not searching because we can't find it. It's looking forward to with anticipation. Most of us understand what that's like. There are things that we're excited about. We're looking forward to things. I remember when I was just a kid and I was very excited about a trip that my family was going to get to go on and I actually got so excited, this is almost embarrassing, Pastor Darren, I broke out in a rash. I was excited about this trip and then I thought I had something serious and I thought I was going to have to stay home and miss the trip. And fortunately, after about a few hours, the the thing passed. But man, I was excited. I was ready to go on this trip. I want to tell you something. There's something far more exciting than getting to uh, travel through a few states and see a few things that you haven't seen before. And that is what we have to anticipate. We are looking forward to. We are looking for these things. As we think about this, it's often people will say, "Well, you know." Some of you have probably said, maybe said this or heard this said, that person's just so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. I want to tell you that that is certainly a danger. There are some people who get their minds caught up in just thinking about being a Christian and they don't actually do anything. And I hope that's not true. But I want to say that I believe it's a greater danger in our Christian life that we become so earthly minded that we are no heavenly good. I don't know if you've ever been there in your life, but sometimes I've I've been to where the things of this earth become so important. These are the things that I focus on. How much of your time, I want me just ask you this this morning, to just evaluate your mind, evaluate what you've done this past week, evaluate what you've thought about, evaluate where you've invested your energy, your time, your effort, your possessions. Do you invest more in earthly things or in heavenly things? Jesus says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and dust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor dust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. The problem is not that we invest. The problem is where we invest our investment. And Jesus says to invest it in heavenly things. I want to say to you this morning that if we are not heavenly minded, we can't be any earthly good. If we're not heavenly minded, we're no good on this earth. Uh, C.S. Lewis writes about this and he says if you read through history, you'll find that the people who made the greatest difference on this earth were the people who were the most heavenly minded, the apostles, those down through history, the church leaders, the the ones during more recent years that Uh, Worked for the abolition of slavery, and they were motivated by heavenly mindedness to do earthly good. Jesus put it this way Jesus said, Set your affections where? On things above, not on things of this earth. Where are our affections? We are to be heavenly minded. Are you heavenly minded? Paul is pretty clear, or Peter rather, is pretty clear about this in this passage. Think about, I want you to see the things he says that point us to a heavenly mind and how we are to think about it. Look in verse 1 of chapter 3, the end of the verse, I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Peter wants them to think clearly about heaven. Look in verse 2, that you be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. He says, I want you thinking about the Scriptures and what the Scriptures has to say about this. Look in verse 3. Knowing this first, he's interested in where their minds are centered. He wants their minds centered on the truth of Scripture about this place called heaven, this new heavens and this new earth that we are looking forward to. He's going to say some other things down through here about being ignorant of those, but that is, that is Peter's purpose. So how do we take this passage and get our minds heavenly-minded? I suspect many of us came in this morning, just to be honest, with our minds not completely heavenly-minded. Some of you, I don't know who, but I suspect in the crowd this size, some of you had a, a spat with your spouse this morning, on your way to church. Now, no one's going to admit that. Don't raise your hand. I'm not asking you to, to ouch yourself in front of the whole congregation. Some of you fussed at your kids this morning on the way to church. Can I get an amen from the kids on that? <laughs> Some of you kids fussed at your parents on your way to church this morning. Our minds are, are not always on heavenly things. Sometimes we come to church and we're, we're glad to be here, but our minds are on our problems that we've experienced this week. Our minds are on the things that are coming in the week ahead. And God calls us to draw our attention to heavenly things, to focus our mind on heaven to be heavenly minded. So how are we heavenly minded? Well, Peter is going to draw our attention to three things. First of all, he draws our minds to the reality of heaven. Heaven is a real place. Now, there are people today that are like the people in this text. Notice what he says in verse 5, for this they willingly are ignorant of. Do you know there are some people who just choose not to believe in heaven? They ignore all the evidence of Scripture. They ignore the teaching of Jesus. They ignore what is just simple logic in our minds, and they just are willfully ignorant. You know anybody that's willfully ignorant? Don't look at your husband or your wife. Don't point point at the pulpit. (laughs) Willfully ignorant. Purposefully. I I said this in the early service. It comes to my mind. You know, there. are how many, how many of y'all watch Andy Griffith? Let's just go ahead and admit that's pretty much about 98.9% of us. There's a quote from Andy Griffith for pretty much any situation in life. And as I read this, where he says, They are willfully ignorant. Uh, I remember the scene where they're sitting in the police car and Andy's giving Barney a hard time. And Barney just, I hate when you're purposefully obtuse. These people are purposefully obtuse, they're willfully ignorant. They choose to be stupid. That's just an easy way of putting it. What are they willfully ignorant of? They choose to not believe in heaven. They choose to believe that there is not going to be a real place called heaven. Some people just simply don't believe heaven is real. I heard someone say one time that the, the afterlife or how we live on after we die, our eternal life is simply living on in the minds and the memories of those that we leave behind. I want to tell you something, that that's the only hope you have of eternity. That's not much hope at all. Our minds, look, I mean, I don't care how much people love you, their memory of you is going to fade and pass as time goes on, and within a few generations, there may be very little that people remember about you. So if that's the only hope we have of beyond this life, we are of all men, as Paul says, we are of all men most miserable. But we have hope beyond that. We have the hope of the resurrection that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We have the hope of the rapture. We have the hope of the resurrection that Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that we've looked at the dead in Christ will rise first. And we have hope that there is life beyond the grave. Heaven is a real place. And I'm glad that I'm going there. I'm glad that I'm going there not because I think I'm going there but because Jesus said that I was going there. And if you go there, it won't be because you worked hard enough to get there. And it won't be because you were a member of this church or any other church. And it won't be because you think you came from a good family. It will be because of the work of Jesus Christ that you or I will enter into a very real place called heaven. But there's not only those who are purposefully ignorant, there are some who are practically ignorant. In other words, they say they believe in it, but to all intents and purposes... They, they act like it's not real. Look what he says in verse 8. But, beloved, he's talking to Christians, be not ignorant of this one thing. He knows that there can be some truths about heaven that we say we believe in, but we live like it's not true. There's a couple of ways that we do this. One way is in our incorrect thinking about heaven. I am shocked sometimes to hear what people think, even believers, even Christians, Think about heaven. I read recently a man who had a pastor come to him, and this pastor said to him, he said, to float around on clouds all the time strumming a harp, he said, that to me sounds just as bad as hell. I would rather be annihilated than to spend eternity doing that. I want to tell you, sadly, most of us have gotten our theology about heaven and our understanding of heaven... More from songs and jokes and cartoons than we have from the Bible. To think that that's what heaven is, and that somehow God's going to pull a bait and switch on us and tell us how wonderful heaven is, and then bore us to death for eternity—number one—is a complete, it's a complete distortion of what the Bible teaches about heaven. What I mean—it seems like we're getting our theology these days more from Bugs Bunny and Tom and Jerry than we are from Scripture. Oh well, you know, you heard that joke about the guy that stood at the pearly gate, and Saint Peter wouldn't. No, that's not where we get our. That's not where we get our understanding of heaven. But that's the way a lot of people think about heaven, and they think, "Oh, this sounds like a terrible place." It's a distortion of Scripture, but it's also it maligns the goodness of God that He would somehow do this. Let me. He's the one who who created heaven. That's not a hard question, guys. <laughs> who created heaven? Who creates the new heaven and the new, and the new earth? Can God do anything that's bad? Is God going to create anything that's less than best? No, he's not. And I'm hearing some of our kids, they understand that. I'm going to get the kids to amen around here. They amen louder than the adults do. Thank you for that. I heard that. Good timing up there. That's, that's our new amen corner. Some, I heard it somewhere over there. Yes, sir. Heaven is an amazing creation of God. And to think that it would somehow be less than the best or that it would somehow be boring or it would be somehow, oh, I don't really... To think about standing around and praising God for a a million years, as one person said. They're completely misunderstanding what the worship experience is going to be like and they're completely misrepresenting God and the glory that he has for us. Heaven is a real place. But notice number two in this text. I want you to see the revelation about heaven. There's several places in here, but I want you to notice one particularly, two places actually I'll point to you. One is in verse nine, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Who is the one that has promised heaven? It's God that has promised it. And then down in verse 13, nevertheless, we according to his promise. Who is the one that has revealed to us about heaven. It's God that has revealed to us that there is a place called heaven, and he has revealed truth to us about it. So isn't it important for us, if God has revealed things to us, for us to seek to understand and to know about this place called heaven? I think it's very important. I believe scripturally it's very important. There are those who will say, well, you know, we just we, we shouldn't spend time imagining or we shouldn't spend time thinking about it. It should go, you know, we need to be careful with our imagination because sometimes our imag- imagination is shaped by misunderstandings about heaven, that it's somehow floating around on the clouds from a harp for the rest of eternity. That's, that's a misconception that shapes our, that our anticipation of it. But to think about heaven, people will often go to the verse in 1 Corinthians where he says, and eye has not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him. And they say, well, you know, we can't, we can't see and hear and understand heaven, so let's, why would we spend time thinking about it? But they forget the next part of that passage. Do you remember what it says? It says, I hath not seen, and ear hath not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him, but God has revealed them to us by his Spirit. In other words, there are things that God has revealed to us in His Word about this place called heaven that we are to know and that we are to understand. And Peter's going to say it's important for us to know because it'll change the way we live. Being heavenly-minded will make us earthly good. So what does the Bible reveal to us? Well, there's two aspects of heaven. One is heaven now. and We read about some of the things about this in Scripture. We know that when we die, when the believer dies, the body goes to the ground. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7 says the body is committed to the ground and the spirit returns to the God who made it. Paul will tell us in the scriptures that as our body goes to the grave, that our spiritual being goes to be with God. He says to die is to be with Christ. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the the fulfillment of that promise that to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Now, I don't know what all that's going to look like, but my spiritual being, the spiritual part of me, is going to exist in a conscious state with God. Now, there's not this soul sleep. The idea of soul sleep is not in Scripture. It is a conscious awareness that I am in the presence of God. We can read about some of this in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 around the great throne of God as the the creatures that are there and the angels that are there and those that are there are worshiping in the presence and the glory and the beauty of God. And that's what is taking place when a person dies, when we have a funeral service or we commit a a body to the ground. Look, that, that body at that funeral or those remains, those ashes, that is not that person. That is simply the empty shell that they inhabited for a short time. If they are a believer in Christ, their spiritual being goes to be in the presence of God the moment their life passes from their body. And they are in the presence of God. And they are in the presence of those who have gone to be with God. Their loved ones that have gone before them. I I look forward to the day when whether it's heaven now or heaven new, that I get to be in the presence of God and get to be reunited with those that are there. That's what's going to happen now. That's heaven right at the moment. But heaven now is, I don't want to minimize or diminish in any way the glory of the present heaven, but it is a temporary stopping place. It's a temporary holding place, waiting till we get to the new heavens and the new earth. It's a glorious place. It's a place of being in the presence of God. But John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth and a new city, Jerusalem. And this is where we will be in eternity. This is what we often refer to as the eternal state. We call it heaven, but it's the eternal heaven. It's the eternal home that God has prepared for us. Don't you love that promise that Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And I'm glad that he's not just preparing a place for me, he's preparing me for that place. I can't wait to get there, because he's prepared it for me. That's the revelation of heaven now, but heaven to come. We won't take all the time, but we could turn over to Revelation 21 and 22 and read through the, the size and the scope and the beauty of this amazing city that's come down from God out of heaven. The 12 gates that are made of pearl, the huge, beautiful pearls that will construct these 12 gates. There's not just one pearly gate to get into heaven. There's 12 gates on this city. And this isn't even including the new earth. This earth is going to be restored to its original intent. Just imagine all the glory and the beauty and the delights of this earth as we have experienced it. And then know that that has been diminished by the fall. Things are beautiful. We get to see great beauty in creation and nature. But it's nothing compared to what it would have been before sin marred this creation. And we get to enjoy delights that God has given to us to enjoy and participate in. But those are diminished because we live in a fallen world. But I want you to imagine this morning that all the wonderful things that God has allowed us to enjoy on this earth, all the wonderful delights that he has given to us to enjoy, and then imagine that you are able to enjoy them forever to the most infinite perfection. And you might just begin to imagine what heaven is going to be like see, people think, oh, heaven's just going to be this boy. Let me tell you something. There, you, at your greatest imagination, have never been able to imagine what heaven is going to be for beauty and delight and enjoyment and worship. And it will never, never end. Have you ever had that moment here on this earth, maybe with a group of friends, and you felt that, that closeness and that enjoyment, and you knew that at some point it was, it was going to end? Someone was going to have to go home. Or, as most feelings do, that feeling was going to end. Maybe you've been in church, and as we were earlier with the music lifting up Christ and exalting Christ and singing, Holy, Holy, Holy to the Lamb of God, and you felt your heart stirred, as I know many of you did, and I did, and we felt for just a moment, just a taste of what heaven is going to be like. Just imagine that worship to the to the extent that it's possible, to the infinite perfection, and that it will never end. One of the great glories of heaven is that we will somehow be able to handle such extended glory. You remember when when Moses came off the mountain, and they told him, they said, Moses, cover your face up. You've been in the presence of the glory of God, and you're so bright, you're glowing, we can't stand to look at you. He had just been there just for moments, Can you imagine what it would do to our physical being if we were in the presence of God for eternal glory? And yet God is going to give us that new resurrected body that we'll be able to stand the delights of heaven. We'll be able to understand the delights of heaven. We'll be able to experience the delights of heaven. There's some wonderful things that will take place, and we could go through these verses this morning. I encourage you to come back later. And just read from chapter 21 into chapter 22. Read about the fountain of life. Read about the, the walls of, of all the different stones, the beautiful rubies and the diamonds and all the, all the amazing stones that are there, the street of gold, the pure river of life that flows through this, the fruit trees that will be there. Some people wonder what, what is this new heaven and new earth is going to be. I don't see any indication in Scripture that it's going to be anything other exactly what it is, a redeemed creation filled with redeemed people in a perfect relationship with their Redeemer, Jesus Christ. That's going to be an amazing place. It's going to be a wonderful place, and we will get to be there with our Redeemer. And the things that God created, the good gifts that He has given in in this earth, we'll be able to experience to the fullest delight Will there be food in heaven? Well, there seems to be some indication. There's fruit trees, 12 different manners of fruits, one for each, one for each month, and they come and they eat of the fruit. What will that fruit taste like? I don't know, but it would be better than any fruit you've ever had on this earth. Different kind every month. I, I'm convinced that at least one month it's going to taste like bacon. <laughs> I can't prove that from Scripture. Y'all just let me have my dream. Maybe another month will taste like Krispy Kreme donuts. I don't know. Just imagine getting to enjoy all that with all the, without all the effects of a sinful fallen body that you have to deal with. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the delights that we have. There will be trees there. There will be plants. This will be a restored creation, a redeemed creation, just as our God has redeemed us from sin He will redeem this creation, this universe from sin and restore it to the glory and the beauty of its original intent as he designed it and as he intended it. And what did God say when he saw his original creation? When he finished creating, God saw that it was good. Is heaven going to be good? You better believe it the reality of heaven, the revelation of heaven. What kind of place is heaven going to be? We could go down through all these all these verses, but I won't take the time. I'll just mention a few of these to you this morning. Heaven is going to be a place of exceptional beauty. Just imagine the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Husbands are looking at their wives now. That's great. That's wonderful. Husband, wives are looking at their husbands thinking, that's not the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Imagine the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Imagine a, a beautiful gem or imagine a, a beautiful part of creation. And imagine what it does. It stirs within us. What is that that it stirs? It stirs that longing for the perfection of God's beauty. It stirs within us the, a desire and a heart. Why? Because we were created for something more. We were created for more than this world. C.S. Lewis said that if we find within ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the the most logical explanation is that we were created for a different world. And we were not created for this world. We were created for this new heaven and this new earth. And the beauty that we see here, can you imagine what it's going to be like to walk into that city after living in this in a a perfect new world to walk into that new Jerusalem and see the glory of the Lamb shining through the beauty of those stones and glistening in the, the street of gold and all the beauty that will be around us. And look, this is not some figment of imagination. This is a real place that God is revealing to us. God wants us to know that heaven is real, and he wants us to know some things about it. It's a place of beauty. It's a place of peace. Aren't you glad for a place where there will be nothing that enters that will defile, the Bible says. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 27. A place of eternal peace, nothing to disturb. You ever sit down to find some peace and maybe, maybe you turn on the news. <laughs> That's not a place to find peace. Do the things in this world disturb you? Do you feel like even, even wicked lot in Sodom? vexed his righteous soul daily because of the wickedness around him. Do you ever feel vexed with the wickedness around us? Just imagine there will be, enter nothing that defiles. It's a place of beauty. It's a place of peace. It's a place of rest. Revelation 14, 13 speaks about entering into rest. But even though it's a place of great rest, it's also going to be a place of uninterrupted service to God. He talks about his, his servants serving him in chapter 22. You see, we were not created for idleness. We were created for activity. And as we are active, as we are, as we are serving, you know, there's a certain delight that comes from a job well done, isn't there? There's a certain delight. If you create something, some of you have such amazing talents. I've seen some of the work that you do. And you make things and you create things and you design things. And when you step back and you look at that completed work, there's a sense of delight because you with your hands fashioned something and you did something and you completed something, and you may be tired and you may be weary, just imagine all the delights and all the beauty of labor and service to God without any of the negatives, without any of the sense of failure, without any of the sense of what I did was not enough. Have you ever done something to serve God and you walked away and you felt like you failed because you didn't measure up? Maybe you taught a Sunday school class and you walked away and you felt like, man, I didn't do that text justice. Maybe you shared the gospel with someone and you felt like you didn't do it well enough. I want to tell you that our service for God in this new heaven and this new earth will be such that we will never, ever feel that way. We will feel the complete, perfect, eternal delight of satisfying God with our service and honoring him with our service. It's a place of glorious manifestations. We will know as we are known. Now we see through a glass darkly but then face to face. Aren't you glad for the glory? Not just the glory. Let me tell you three glories we're going to see in heaven. I love this. We're going to see the glory around us. We're going to see the glory of the beauty of heaven. It's going to be a glorious place. We're going to see the glory of God before us. Isn't that going to be a delight to see God in the fullness of his glory? But we will also get to experience the glory within us. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that we can endure our present suffering because of the glory that will be displayed in us. I can experience suffering and pain and trouble here now because it is temporary and it is external because one day I will experience the great glory of God eternally within that is the glory of heaven it's going to be a great place it's going to be a place of blessed reunions how many of us this morning have those in heaven that we wish we could see you know what that does one thing for me let me just say this it makes us appreciate the time we have with people now we know they're in heaven We know we'll see them again. But we also know that we're stuck in this earth. We're stuck in the temporal. So with heaven in mind, love those around you while you can. Because it might be a a while. It'll be a short while for them, but it seems so long for us. The blessedness. Think about those that we'll see. Think about the loved ones who've gone before. Think about, I think about my faithful grandfather who served God as a pastor for decades after he came to know Christ. I was just a child when he, when he left. But when I see him, I will see his body restored like I never knew it then. I saw it after he had been wrecked by, hurt, by heart attack after heart attack. And all the effects of a sinful lifestyle before his salvation that had damaged his body. And I saw the suffering and the pain that he went through. He'll be free from that. And I'll get to see him. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to seeing brothers and sisters in Christ that I've known through the years. Friends and family and friends that are like family that are going to be in heaven. I'm looking forward to meeting siblings that I've never met that died before they were born. I'm looking forward to seeing a child that I've never met. I'm looking forward to being reunited with those that we love. Aren't you glad for that promise? Aren't you glad that we have the truth of Scripture? If I was just standing here this morning trying to make you feel better, I, I, would, I couldn't say this with a straight face, but I can tell you based on the Word of God that those who know Christ, that we will see them again, that death is not the end. It is simply a doorway into the eternal. Aren't you glad for that promise? Aren't you glad that we don't have to sorrow as those that have no hope? It's a, blessed, it's a place of blessed reunion, but it's also a place of perfect communion. I will be with God. I love to spend time with God. I love that I get to talk to Him. I love that I get to pray and hear from Him. But there, that communion will be perfect. Here, it is limited because of my frailty. It is limited because of interruptions, but there it will be an uninterrupted communion with God. Have you ever made time to spend with God, and just as soon as you got ready to read your Bible or pray, you heard a sound that you knew immediately you were not going to get your time with God? Now, I know some of y'all live in perfect places. Y'all are like monks and hermits, and you have, you've excluded every possible distraction from your spiritual life. But some of us live in a real world and we live with people. Some have small children. And that doesn't happen very often that you get that quiet and that peace. Can you imagine the blessed privilege of being in the presence of God? You see, that's what's going to make heaven. Heaven as our home is not about a place. Heaven is about a person. Heaven is about Jesus Christ. It's about being in the presence of God, our Father. Revelation chapter 21 says that the city comes down and God will be our God we will be his people and his dwelling place will be with us uninterrupted unending communion with God that's that's the glory of heaven that's what I look forward to this is what God has revealed these are some of the truths of what God has revealed to us about what heaven's going to be like there's some things I don't know what it's going to be like. There's some things I use my sanctified imagination about. But God wants me to know about heaven. Why does God want me to know about heaven? Why has He revealed heaven to me? Because He wants us to be ready for heaven. Notice the readiness for heaven. Look in verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent. Be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. It's really quite simple. If you take these three things that Peter gives us, heaven is real. God wants us to know some truth about heaven so that it will change how we live. How many of you believe heaven is real this morning? Say amen. We've seen that God has revealed some truth about heaven. Haven't we seen that from Scripture? Amen. Third question then is how, how does this affect how we live? How is it affecting your life? Heaven is real. God wants us to know about it so that we We'll live differently. He says, because we look for such things, we're looking for his coming. We're looking for the new heavens. We're looking for the new earth. Because of this, we need to be diligent so that we would be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Are you ready for heaven? I don't mean are you just so sick of this earth that you can't wait to get there. Are you longing to see someone so much that you can't wait to get there? I mean, are you prepared for heaven? The song we sang just a minute ago, we're a church that's ready for you to come. We're the bride that's ready for the groom to come. Are you ready for heaven? If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, you're not ready for heaven. I'm sorry, but being a member of a church, some people are hoping in church membership. Some people are hoping in good deeds. Some are hoping in giving and and charitable work and charity giving. Some are hoping because they came from a Christian family. Some seem to think because they come and they live in what we would term a maybe a Christian nation, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian by default because I'm not this other religion or I'm not an atheist, therefore I'm a Christian. That's not going to get us into heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. I want you to know this morning, this wonderful place that I'm describing and Scripture has described to us, it is available, it is open, and the Spirit and the bride say, Revelation says, say, come. Let him that is a thirst come. If there's something that you're thirsty for that this world has never satisfied, it is the most logical explanation that you are created for something else and you are thirsting for something that is not of this world. And so if you're thirsty, you come to Christ You repent of your sins and you tell Christ, you tell Jesus, Lord, I want you to be my Savior. I'm trusting you for my salvation. That's the only way into heaven. That's how we prepare for heaven. But for those of us who have trusted in Christ, what should the thought of heaven do for us? It ought to give us hope. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. I see a lot of Christians that are very troubled. They're very concerned. And Jesus gives us the hope of heaven so that we will not have troubled hearts. It also is our hope for service. Why do we share the gospel? We share the gospel because there is a very real place called heaven. Yes, there is a place called hell, but there is a place called heaven, and it is real. And those who trust in Christ as their Savior, those who receive the gospel will go there. And so what is it that motivates us to share the gospel with our friends and our families and our neighbors And our communities and those around the world, those who serve in missions, they go to carry the message of the gospel that God is redeeming sinners to himself. And he has a place for them to spend eternity with him and for them to worship him and experience his glory forever. And that's what motivates us. It ought to give us a sense of humility. It is only by the grace of God that you and I will stand in heaven. Not of works, Ephesians 2 says, lest any man should boast. Most people have heard the song Amazing Grace. John Newton that wrote that song said there are three great wonders of heaven. If I get there, he said, I will be amazed that there are some people that I didn't think were going to be there that are there. I think most of us can probably associate with that. He said the second wonder is is that there will be some that I expected to see there that aren't there. But he said the third and most glorious wonder is that I myself will be in heaven. That's the sense of humility that we ought to have, that God has saved us and that we will one day be in his presence. But Peter makes this very specific. Heaven calls us to a life of holiness. That we may be found of him in peace without spot, and blameless I asked this morning how many of you believe in heaven and nearly everyone said amen I'm assuming probably those of you that didn't say it out loud probably said in your hearts you just maybe aren't as expressive as others or our kids up here we believe in heaven we believe that God has revealed truth to us but the truth he reveals should not leave us unchanged are you preparing for heaven I'm not saying are you working your way there that's that's in Jesus but are you prepared heaven is a place that is worthy of the greatest preparation the glory that's there should cause us to be prepared and yet as one writer has said we spend more time preparing for a trip to Disneyland than we do getting ready for heaven Nothing wrong with taking trips. Nothing wrong with Disneyland. But are we more excited about the trip that we're going to take for vacation than we are about getting to heaven? Are we spending more time preparing for that than we do preparing for the presence of God? Do we get more excited about the family member or the friend who's going to come see us that we haven't seen in a long time than we do about Jesus coming back? Are we prepared for heaven? does being heavenly minded change the way you live? Has being heavenly minded made you any earthly good? May God's word do that for us today. Father, speak to us. This is a convicting thought. And Lord, to end on this blessing of heaven, it should bring conviction. This truth is not to leave us unchanged. So I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak